Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Dr. Christian Luprecht has been a guest on this program, I think, for 20 years or so, and we've covered a great deal of territory, and the world has changed a great deal over that 20-year period, 20-plus years. He's a professor at Queen's University and the Royal Military College, Eisenhower Fellow at the NATO Defense College in Rome, a Monk Senior Fellow in Security and Defense at the MacDonald Laurier Institute, and author of many books, including Intelligence as Democratic Statecraft, published by Oxford University Press. Intelligence as democratic statecraft is significantly important, as we're finding out. Christian, thank you very much for for taking the time. I want to play something for you right now. I spoke earlier with uh, General Rick Hillier, and I asked the general about whether he would support a no-fly zone, a NATO-operated no-fly zone over Ukraine. Have a listen. In a heartbeat. And, you know, there are a variety of ways to step to that. Number one is flood Ukraine with ground-based air defense to help keep the Russian fighter bombers away as much as possible. Shoot down some of those cruise missiles. Number two is get those MiG-29s that Poland offered up. Get them into the hands of Ukrainian defense forces. I don't know why they're not. So as I listen to General Hillier, I then look at the headline, the lead, of your op-ed in the Globe and Mail, which is, after decades of timidity, can Canada's allies still take us seriously? No timidity from General Hillier. How are you, Kristen? Good afternoon, Royal. What do you make of that? I think this is a challenging situation for the allies. There are countries that are ferociously opposed to a no-fly zone, such as Germany, because of the politics involved behind this. Um, But there are countries such as Canada that in their recent deficit reduction gave up air defense capabilities altogether, and we don't have a fighter jet that can currently defeat Russian air defenses. So in some ways, the irony about this no-fly zone is that Canada, unfortunately, doesn't even have a dog in this race, because other than being able to provide a few surface-to-air um, uh, missile capabilities for individuals on the ground, uh, there's really nothing much we can contribute, which also means then that Canada politically really doesn't have a say around the NATO table when it comes to decisions like this, because if you don't have capabilities to contribute, then you're also not a core member of the decision-making process. As you uh, wrote in your op-ed, words, as far as Canadian defense policy and diplomacy are concerned, words speak louder than action. Take us inside that, uh, that term. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that describes 25 years of Canadian international policy in general and defense policy in particular, where Canada likes to Um, be often uh, rather smug and at times glib about its contributions 
um, and making grand announcements, but then not really having the capability or the will to follow through. Uh, of course, you will remember, uh, and that is true for both sides of the aisle here, um, and you will remember that Mr. Trudeau's pronouncements upon being elected in 2015, that Canada is back. Well, if Canada is back, then why is Canada being admonished by the Secretary General of NATO and by the Biden administration for its inability to make core critical contributions to the alliance when alliance members and partners such as Ukraine come knocking and come asking. We can only hope that in the uh, federal budget that is coming up this week, Canada will raise its hand the way Germany did uh, to make sure that allies understand uh, that Canada uh, can signal that it has a dog in this race and that it is indeed a more reliable uh, partner than NATO allies uh, have interpreted Canadian actions over the last month, but this is really just a trajectory of two and a half decades of inattention to international policy, I think in part because there's few votes to be gotten in Canada in spending on defense and international policy, and in part because we've been much more preoccupied with catering to boutique electoral groups in Canada rather than having a grand strategy and a vision for where we want Canada to be, both domestically as well as on the international stage in five 10 or 20 years. And I think this is something that is disheartening because, of course, in the past, since the end of uh, the Second World War, we've been able to hitch our wagon to U.S. foreign policy and to some extent uh, European and EU foreign policy. But as we know, the United States interests have turned elsewhere in the world, at least in part, uh, and Europe has become more autonomous and more independent in its own decision making, in particular when it comes to defense over the last month or so. And so that means Canada is about to lose its two most important partners in asserting its own interests in the world. And so I think it is soon going to become uh, quite surprisingly lonely for Canada as we increasingly get frozen out of international allied decision making because we don't, our cupboard is bare. And if you don't have anything to contribute, why would allies really take your position seriously? Exactly. And, and in again, in your op-ed, you point out that the German um, defense minister, I think it's the German defense minister, or minister of foreign affairs, said, uh, we woke up in a different world today, and the response from Canada's minister of foreign affairs was, Canada is not a military power. That just says it all. Yeah, it's interesting, of course, if you look at Canadian military spending, that, you know, we are still uh, in, in, the, in many ways in the top 10 in the world. We are, of course, a founding partner of NATO, a key member of NATO. Uh, we're a country that made significant, of course, contributions in blood and treasure in the First and Second World Wars and because we knew where the good fight was and that we had to win this good fight. We made significant contributions to European security in terms of deterrence during the Cold War. And so it is utterly surprising to me that a Canadian foreign minister would not understand that the Canadian armed forces has, have long been a critical foreign policy tool for Canada, if not perhaps the most important foreign policy tool that Canada has, because arguably our single most important multilateral institution is NATO, because this is where our European partners in America and the United States come together, and where we are able then to try to assert our interests. And that, of course, has meant we've been able to underspend on defense at times because we've been able to leverage those relationships. But I think the, the, uh, the, we are, we're now in a, in a position where the consistent understanding has so hollowed out 
or Canadian Armed Forces that the, in, the, the, the organization is facing real challenges operating and delivering for the government of Canada because for 25 years it has not been able to reconstitute in terms of personnel and it has not been able to sustain and maintain in particular in terms of equipment. And so now when called upon, um, uh, there is not uh, the extent able to give uh, that would be necessary given the crisis that we're having. And I mean, we've seen this crisis coming since 2014 at least. Yes. So it is unfortunate that Canadian governments once again did not play ahead. Yeah. So here we are, Christian. 88 F-35s are going to be arriving in Canada starting in uh, three years' time. 2015, the Prime Minister said what he just said. None of this would have happened. I don't think we'd be getting those F-35s if, in fact, as you wrote in your column, I'm just going to... Uh, use this line, you, you weren't writing about the F-35s, but you wrote, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has forced the issue, and that's the issue of the underfunding and under-equipping of Canada's armed forces, yes? Yeah, so I think we need to, so there's, of course, Canadians who say we should just ditch our military, you know, what do we need our military? Well, that means, of course, then, that we have no ability to assert our sovereignty or the the will of the democratically elected Canadian government when it comes to foreign policy issues. And yeah, we can reduce ourselves to the status of a country such as Costa Rica, but then obviously we're also not going to be taken seriously in the world. And we got to remember that the prosperity and the democracy that we enjoy today was a strategic decision taken in 1940 by the then US president and Canadian prime minister in a quasi strategic alliance to keep the troubles of the world far away from the North American continent. And so, you know, I think we're a little bit naive about how we actually got here and that the relatively small premium that we pay on defense uh, is still a, a, a much lower premium to pay than getting ourselves into a hot war and understanding that there are bad people out there with bad intentions. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I, I hope that people understand that Putin is, uh, as President Biden said, uh, Europe, the European periphery and Europe will not be safe as long as Putin is in power. So what contribution do we make to that? Well, it turns out that as all of us had predicted, the F-35 was going to be the only option for Canada, especially in terms of interoperability with NATO allies and with the United States. It's a little bit surprising that the prime minister at the time, of course, said that somehow it cannot defend the Arctic because today the single highest concentration of F-35s uh, in any subnational jurisdiction in the world is in Alaska, where you have over 100 of them uh, currently stationed, uh, which shows that the Americans have serious concerns about the northern approaches. What are we going to do to ensure that we can safeguard those northern approaches? And of course, air defense is a critical component because we want to stay part of NORAD, North American Air Defense uh, Command. That means we need to have fighter jets that you can actually can perform within that command. And at the same time, European allies need to understand that our contribution to continental security is, of course, also a contribution to European stability and to NATO, because if the North American continent and the U.S. is not safe, that means it, it, it reduces the ability of the United States to provide that extended deterrence for allies and partners in Europe as, as well as elsewhere in the world. So that Canada making a solid contribution here also means that we can leverage U.S. interests in terms of regional and international uh, stability and uh, the securing of democratic values and um, uh, free market uh, prosperity. Okay, so you understand the contrasting realities of North America and Europe better than anyone I know. 
So let me go back to the, uh, the, the headline, the lead of your op-ed. After decades of timidity, can Canada's allies still take us seriously? All right, so now we're ordering 88 F-35s. Uh, we have a supply ship for the Navy, much to the well unhappiness of the Prime Minister, if we just remember what happened to Admiral Norman, who will be a guest on this program tomorrow. Will our allies take us more seriously because of the F-35s, or do we have more to do? Well, I testified earlier this week at the House of Commons Standing Committee on Government Operations and Estimates on both air defense procurement as well as the uh, national shipbuilding strategy. And of course, uh, procurement and military procurement in Canada uh, remains a highly convoluted issue and seems to continue to be unable to deliver on time, on budget, and on the capabilities that we actually ordered. Um, and so our allies, this is going to be about much more than the government simply putting uh, money on the table. As I replied in a question to one of the members of the committee, that the very convoluted bureaucratic uh, structures and, and processes that we have in place that do not reflect any of our other allies uh, may well be uh, a function of political ideology. If you don't want to buy material and you don't want to spend on defense, then you just make it very, very difficult to do so. And I think this is essentially what we've seen in Canada. So will the government actually commit to the sort of integrated uh, bureaucratic uh, procurement structure that um, it had in 2019 as part of its election platform, but that disappeared in 2021. Will the government actually commit to ensuring that we're able to modernize the hundreds of personnel policies that um, are outdated and that require the attention by central agencies and the president of the Treasury Board? So there's a lot more to this conversation and our allies are paying close attention um, so I think just a, a fog and, 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 and fog of war, sort of fog and mirror sort of approach here of just putting money on the table and saying, just look elsewhere. Look, on the F-35s, the government announced it was going to enter into a seven-month dialogue for procuring, uh, procuring these, these, tra- uh, these jets um, on all previous military procurement files that I'm aware of. That dialogue has taken three to four months. So why the government would need a twice as long a runway either because they're afraid of their own procurement bureaucracy, that they're not going to be able to get it done, or because perhaps they're going to be particularly concerned about playing political football, making sure that the money goes into the right writings. Um, And that's something that, of course, opposition parties in this country have to stop doing, that we can't keep on instrumentalizing uh, defense for political purposes, as we long have, because that demonstrates that we're actually not serious about asserting Canada's national interests abroad. Yeah, and I'm not just uh, picking on any particular region in the country, but let's just uh, follow up on that thought. A senior minister, and you know who it is, um, talked about the uh, F-35s being uh, boon to Bagotville uh, Air Base, where? In the province of Quebec. Not surprising, but it just sounded so political to me. Uh- Defense is always in, in every country sort of a, a political football for politicians. But I think in Canada, we've done a uh, particularly um, uh, uh, poor job at um, uh, trading off between the equipment that the military is supposed to get and the way politicians try to spread largesse in political writings and in particular 
in political writings that usually the government of the day holds. And so I think it is disingenuous for politicians to say the military is going to get the equipment they need when, in fact, politicians are more concerned about making sure that the money ends up in the correct political writings or if they're going to make a political, trying to score political points out of it during the next election campaign. And so I think it would be nice if the current federal government, especially the minority situation that it is in, would actually go to an Australian system with all party votes on critical defense and procurement matters to ensure that the opposition then doesn't reverse track because what the Canadian military needs is not a one-time decision on buying jets or ships or whatnot. It needs a 15-year sustained commitment to rebuilding the Canadian Armed Forces because that's how long it will take to get this organization back into the shape that it needs to be in in order to perform for our allies and partners and, of course, for Canadian taxpayers in defending the country defending the continent and being able to be there to defend our allies when called upon because it's not sure it's not clear to me that this organization is currently in a state to be able to um, to to deliver on all those expectations for when called upon if you want to hear more subscribe to the roy green show on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify stitcher or wherever you find your favorites and if you like what you hear leave us a review and tell a friend i'm roy green Have a great weekend.